We're going to continue a series and uh, on family, and um, I think outside of our immediate family, the church family is the best family, and uh, man, we're seeing that just right here illustrated through Eddie's life, which is so powerful. Uh, I want you to go to Joshua uh, chapter 24, Joshua 24, verse 14, we've read this uh, for our series, it says, now fear the Lord and serve him. With all faithfulness, throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Come on, we will serve the Lord. That declaration is exactly that, a declaration and a decision that Joshua made that said, for me and my, my home, my household, we are going to serve the Lord. In fact, in previous verses, Joshua says this. He says, you choose whatever you want. But I'm making this decision for me and my house. Can I just tell you that we live at a time in our culture, in our world, where we cannot look to the world to decide if we choose or if we don't. We have to make a decision for us and our home that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we're talking about family, it's always, it always gets heavy because everybody has some story of family that's either hurtful or a regret or some broken family, blended family, wannabe family, used to be family. I mean, everybody's in different seasons, but all usually share some type of pain when it comes to family. And I was just thinking about this. You know, every, every family's messy. I, I know we see, I know we see pictures of family. I wish I had a family like them. Or you see a post of a family. You wish you had a family like them. You don't know how much those kids were bribed to stand there. You know, there's always a story beyond, behind the picture. I mean, anybody that's ever taken a family picture knows that's true. I mean, it's like, you better stand right there. Or, you know, it's like... Then snapped the picture. I was actually on, I was on the way to church this morning, and, and um, Jamie's out of town this week, and, and uh, so I was getting the boys ready, and I was getting ready to preach, and, and so I'm like, listen, you're with me today, so you got to do things my way, and so we're in the car, and we're praying, and we're praying for you, and, and uh, we're on the way here, and I'm like, listen, you're with dad, everybody's praying today, and uh, I said, Jude, you, you're first, you're the oldest, and he goes, actually, you're the oldest. Okay, okay, I'll go first. And so I prayed, and then Jude prayed. Jude prayed one of his best prayers. He's like, Lord, let anybody that doesn't know you come to know you today. You had, an eight, you had an eight-year-old praying for you today. He said, let every person at all of the different locations feel your presence. I'm like, that's my boy. He understands multi-site. And uh, it, she's praying for each campus. And uh, so I'm like, man, Jude, that was powerful. And Genesis, that's my youngest. I said, it's your turn. He says, Jesus. Help daddy not be cranky today. <laughs> Son, get out of the car. You, you are, I just, every, fam, every family's got mess. No family's perfect. No family's squeaky clean. No family never has bad days or moments. I mean, my son's one prayer request is that I wouldn't be cranky at church. I mean, it's, come on. Every, everybody, everybody has Stuff, And I just want you, I want you to know this. As we're talking about family, this is what we're calling a Planet Fitness judgment-free zone, okay? If you ever worked out at Planet Fitness, they, like, encourage you to not work out. Like, nobody judge them. They haven't been here for three years. We still, it's all, it's all right, judgment-free zone. It's like, you're sweating. Stop. Slow down. This is a, anyways, 
I don't like Planet Fitness. Judgment-free zone. I think the church should be the greatest judgment-free zone on the planet. Everybody's got different walks of life. Everybody's at a different phase in their journey. Everybody's encountering different problems and situations. So this is, this is what I like to ask as we step into this, this, continue this series, is that we just focus on us. This is a judgment-free zone. Everybody's at different pace and place, and we're okay with that. We're going to let the Lord, let the Holy Spirit work and move in them. I was, I was listening to a, uh, a preacher. His name is Ted Cunningham. He pastors in Missouri, and he was talking about family values and about our marriages and, and relationships, and he says it's very important if you're going to have a godly family and a godly marriage and a happy marriage. Sometimes we say godly, we don't add happy. I want to be godly and happy. That's like, I mean, I'm all for being godly, but I also want to be, I want to be happy. I don't want to just endure 50 years. I want to be happy after 50 years. He says, if you're going to have a godly family and a godly marriage, a happy marriage, then you're going to have to decide who drives the bus of your family. And he said this, he said, visualize your family as, as a bus. And as you're moving along and driving towards your, in your life, towards your destiny, your purpose, who drives the bus? Is it your past? Is it emotions? Is it, is, is it your, your dad's beliefs? Is it your trauma? Is it you? He says, who, we've got to make sure that whoever is driving the bus knows what they're doing. So he says this, we got to make sure that we have a scriptural, biblical perspective that drives the bus of our lives. Not my feeling, not my emotion, not what I'm sensing that day, but we got to make sure Jesus is, Jesus, take the wheel. Come on. We've got to make sure Jesus is driving the, the bus of our lives. We talked about this, is, and we've started with, with the big priorities, and we're just kind of narrowing it down to some real practical things in how to have a godly family, how to eventually, for some of you, have a godly family, or how to work in the family that you have, and it's this. I have to look through a biblical worldview lens, which means I have to make my decisions, my parameters, my morals, I have to look through the, through the word of God. I'm, my morals, my guidelines are not looked at through the lens of culture. I look through the lens of the, how do I live my life? I don't look through the lens of what's everybody doing right now. I have to look through the lens of the word of God. If I have a temptation, personally, I can't just ask you if you think it's all right. I got to look through the lens of scripture. Scripture will tell me if what I'm feeling is accurate or not. And I bow, my bus is driven by scripture. So for each of us, this would help all of our families a lot if we started from the very beginning just saying, I'm going to just, I'm going to look through the biblical lens at my life. You know, we'd stop arguing about a lot of issues in our culture if we had already made the decision to look through the lens of the Word of God. We, we can stop arguing about a lot of things and understand that even though I feel this way or I'm tempted this way or I want to do this thing, this thing this way, if the Bible says something different, then I'm going to allow it to drive the bus of my life. I have to look through a biblical worldview. That lens. Secondly, I have to have a commitment to the local church. This has been our litmus test. If your kids wake up and ask you the question, are we going to church, then you have to adjust your priorities. 
You, you can't let something so powerful as us gathering together as believers be an option. They never ask, are we going to my tournament this weekend? So if they're asking if they're going to church, we have to adjust our priorities. If we're, listen, listen, I'm not telling you you got to be at church every Sunday. I'm telling you if you want to have a godly family, there is an atmosphere that you got to get your family in, and it's in the context of church. I have to have a biblical worldview. I have to have a commitment to my local church, and then I have to have a consistent example of godliness. This is where, when we, when we talked about this in the first week, it got a little heavy. Because everybody loves to throw out scriptures, but then when it, talks, when, we, when it comes to living the fruit of the Spirit, it gets real quiet. Like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Gen- you want me to stop? There's more. Gentleness, self-control. It's like, man, I, I, like, I like that submit verse better. Well, you better have love and lay your life down and serve and give. There's, just, there's more there than just what we want to pick and choose. So I have to have a biblical worldview, a commitment to my local church, but then I have to have a consistent godly example, which means I am exhibiting, I am showing, I am displaying the fruit of the Spirit. I I think for too many people, we leave the bus of our family and our lives, we leave it to chance. So let me just say this. You You don't leave your family to chance. You make a choice. You make a choice that this family is going to go this way. Joshua made a choice. He wasn't saying, as for me, I'm going to do my best. We'll see what happens. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It didn't mean that Joshua never faltered in his faith, never faltered in his commitment, but he postured himself in a place that said, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Sometimes we leave the most important things to chance, and we don't choose the things that are the most important. We'll, we'll, we'll leave things to chance that we should never leave. To, we, don't, we don't leave our kids to chance. We don't leave our, our, our kids to just see like, man, let's just see what they choose. Let's just see what happens. Let's just, you're going to let the eight-year-old decide if the family goes to church? No, they, 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 don't, they don't, at that point, they are looking for an example, and they're looking to be trained. They're not looking to lead your family. The 13-year-old does not know yet what he needs to choose and how he needs to live his life. But if you buy into cultural family raising and parenting, you just let them by chance see how they're going to end up. I've made a decision that I'm going to lead my family by choice with love with honor, with respect, with affirmation and encouragement, but we made a decision, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Don't leave to chance what needs to be approached. Don't leave to chance what needs to be approached with choice. You know, family has always been God's idea. Family's not our idea. Family's not man's idea. Family was originated in the heart and the mind of God. He thought it up, he started it, and he gave us a blueprint of what it should look like. In fact, if you look at the definition of the nuclear family, this is really important in in, in our day and age right now, that we understand what the family is and what the family is not. The nuclear family, the traditional definition is a family unit That includes two married parents of opposite genders and their biological or adopted children living in the same residence. You know what's you know what's wild is that should be so that should be a yawn at the in the service. 
But for some people, that's alarming, and it's, 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 you, you all of a sudden felt yourself get a little bit heated. Like, what, wait, what is this? This is what the family is. And let's just not even say nuclear. Let's say biblical. Because if we say nuclear, then they can change the target on us. Now the nuclear family was this, it was this, and now it is this. The biblical family is this. A family unit that includes two married parents, so not living together, married, of opposite genders, men and women, biologically, and their biological or adopted children living in the same residence. This, this is the biblical family. And you know what? This is important for us to know, and it is important for us to teach. If you don't have a biblical worldview, then the world is going to tell your children something different than what we know to be automatic. While we are, while we are yawning at it, the younger generation is scoffing at it. Because they've been told something different with no biblical worldview. Just dad says so or mom says so. This is the way it is. And what we need to do is help them look through the lens of the word of God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. How crazy is that? That we were created in the image of God. Can I just sidebar and just tell you this? You're valuable to God. That he created you on purpose and for a purpose. That he made you and created you the way that you are for a reason. That he didn't make a mistake, didn't have an accident, didn't have an oops with you. Your parents may have, but he didn't. He knew, he knew you were coming. He chose you. You're supposed to be here. There is intrinsic value on your life. That, that's crazy. We were made in the image of God. Valuable. He loves us. He chose us. He says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, this is important for this reason, is that we have a culture that is living on the headlines of social media platforms and deciding what is biblical truth. It's not biblical truth if it didn't come from the Bible. You, you got to get biblical truth from the Bible. So it says he created them, man and woman. There's, there's only two genders. It's man, and I don't want anyone to clap because I, I want you to know this. We have people represented across thousands of people in our church. Some people have struggled with different types of temptations or different types of lifestyles. And when all of us people clap about one thing, we ostracize someone who might be walking through the journey. So I just want to, I want to pass you for a minute. This is a church for all people to know God. So whatever you struggle with or wherever you are in your journey, we love you and see you, but we also want to bring the biblical lens. So this is not our decision. This is the decision that we have adhered to because of the biblical lens that we look through. So he says he created the men and women. So it's important to teach our children that we don't get to choose. We don't leave it to chance what you're attracted to or what direction you want to go or who you want to be with. We make a choice based on the biblical lens that we look through and the gender that you are. Men and women, this, I, I think this is really important to know. This says that, that he created them male and female. Men and women have equal value before the Lord. This is it. I mean, some of us, it's like, oh, yeah, of course. Some of you just need to know men and women have equal value before the Lord. He sees each of us. He loves each of us, has a plan for each of us. He creates male and female. 
It is our job to make sure we instruct the next generation to look through the biblical, biblical lens. Don't leave family to chance. Don't leave your marriage to chance. Don't leave respect or honor to chance. Don't leave spirituality to chance. Don't leave the atmosphere of your home to chance. Don't leave love to chance. We, we ended our, our last message with this thought. No more neutral. No more neutral. Our world, our culture is undefeated in taking the neutral position of the next generation's minds and shifting them into dysfunction and deception. If you leave your mind in neutral, you have a sin nature, a flesh that gravitates towards deception and self. If, if you shift the bus of your family in neutral, it will not go forward. It will roll to the pathway of least resistance. It is our job as men and women of God to shift our lives into gear, into progress, or into, into choice. That we choose that we will serve the Lord. That we choose family values. That we choose to look through a biblical lens. Deuteronomy chapter 6 Verse 5, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. A lot of people quote the scripture just like that, which is powerful. Love the Lord. This is really important. But there's a lot more to this passage of scripture for the family. It says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Whose hearts? It's personal first. The best way to impact your family is to begin to be impacted yourself. That when I begin to change, it's the beginnings of change in my family. So these commandments I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's pretty much all the time. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your Gates, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Did you know this is the chief aim of a family? Is that the family would love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Did you know you can raise an all-American athlete that doesn't love God and be a failure as a parent? You can have a student with a 4.0 GPA, and if they don't have a love for God, we failed above every other accomplishment, achievement, or accolade. There has to be a love for the Lord and a love for his house. And it's our responsibility to impress that onto the next generation, to love the Lord. If you're going to make a choice for your family, let me give you a couple things as we begin to wind down. Number one, you have to make it personal you got to make it personal. It says these commandments, verse 6, these commandments I give you today are to be on your heart. Family starts with me. For most of us, the problem in, in, in our church culture and community is we're always looking at the sins of someone else. Oh, you know, so-and-so, they, they're fine with. You know, so-and-so, they do. Hey, hey look at you. Look at you. This is where family starts. This is where, this is where healing starts, is I have to look at me. My family transformation starts with me. Your family shouldn't be your source or your solution. 
So I counsel people all the time, and when I counsel people, this is what I hear, unfortunately, more times than not. Well, if my wife would just, right, or my husband would just, this, this is a problem. When you blame your family condition on someone else, you have now promoted them to your, either your source or to your solution. It, it, it's unfair to your family to label them or promote them or enthrone them as your source or your solution. So the first person I have to change if I'm going to make a difference in my family, young people hear me on this, if you're going to make a difference in your family, it starts with you. If my dad would treat, no, 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 it starts with you. And it starts by you loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your answer is not a new family, new kids, new spouse. Your family is a new choice. A new choice to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Number two, you have to make it education. So I'm going to make it personal. I've got to make it education. Verse 7 said, impress them on your children. Another translation says, teach diligently these things. Impress them. Or in other words, the way that you, you live your life is education for the people in your sphere of influence. You know, you're teaching your kids whether you say things or not because kids learn by what you do. Can I speak to the young people for a second? Your parents will see the change in your life if there is a change, and it will affect them. If you're going to church and you're still acting the same way you were before, they are, you're not impressing anything on them. If you come to this church and your parents don't go to church, you should go home and show more honor, more respect, more love than you ever had. And it will begin to crumble the hardness of their heart. And they're going to recognize something is different in you. So I'm talking to everybody. I'm talking to people that have families, that want to have families. I'm talking to young people, old people. This thing starts with me. But then also, secondly, I have to make it education. We are responsible for making sure our family learns the most, most important things about life from us. My boys are going to learn about the most important things in life from me. We have an incredible Christian school, but they're going to learn about the most important things in life from dad. Me and, me and Jamie are going to teach them about the most important things in life, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything we do is education. On the way to church today, when we're praying together, me and the boys, that's education. They're seeing me do something that I consistently do, and they're a part of it, even when he's praying for me not to be cranky. We're, it's education. They're learning. They watch how I treat Jamie. That's education. They watch when I tithe. I bring my boys, and I say, hey, guys, we're going to tithe today. Do you know why we tithe? Do you know why we give to the church? Do you know why God gives the first 10% of our income? Do you know why? And we talk about how Jesus saved daddy and he saved mommy. And this is for the rest of our lives. We give a tenth of every increase. We give it to the Lord. They watch that. They watch how I tip. When I'm at restaurants, I'll ask Jude, hey, how do you think, how do you think the waitress did? He's like, man, not so great. I'm like, should we still tip her? Yeah, we tip. Why? Because we're generous. We don't, we don't tip according to, oh, how, what's the tip scale going? We give because we're generous. 
Everything we do is an example. It's education. It's not existing. It's not surviving. It's not just getting them out of the house. It's education, and it's a responsibility. Make it education. Make it normal. Number three, the scripture said talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Pretty much covers it. If you lie down and when you get up, that's all the time. So I have to make, I have to normalize these things that I want them to internalize. You know what we've normalized? We've normalized anger. Well, that's just dad. He's had a rough day at work. We've normalized substance abuse. Well, he's just stressed. That's how he copes. We've normalized infidelity. It happens. We've normalized things that we should have never normalized and we have forsaken things that we should have normalized. You know what should be normal? Patience. You should be normal? Hugs and affirmation. You should be normal? Get in the car, we're going to church. You should be normal? I forgive you. You should be normal? Let's pray. You know what should be normal? We gotta normalize longevity, normalize affirmation, normalize positivity, normalize the presence of God. It shouldn't be just every once in a while, it should be normal. Of course we go to church. I, re- I remember my mom, she used to wake us up in the morning on Sunday. I knew whenever it was Sunday. When it was Sunday, I don't know if anybody had a mom like this. This is the day. This is. I'm like, no, mom, no. That the Lord has made. That's a- Let's make it stop. I knew it was Sunday. We're going to church. It was, man, we knew. It's normal. It wasn't a special event. And I love everybody that comes on Easter and Christmas, but... It's not enough. We got to be in the house of God. What you make normal or abnormal will be key contributors to the atmosphere of your home. Normalize kindness. Normalize longevity. Normalize coming home at night. Normalize morality. Normalize patience. Normalize forgiveness. Number four, it's really important, make it consistent. It says in verse 8, tie them as symbols on your head and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. In other words, put reminders everywhere of your commitment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And do it all the time. Make it consistent. What you want to see in your home must be a part of your regular routine. You can't be coming home today and all of a sudden deciding like, hey, we're going to love today, and then tomorrow you're back to your old ways. you got to find some consistency. you got to find some habits and some rhythms. Create habits and rhythms that remind your family of what you value. Where you spend your time and where you spend your money are revealers of what you value. Let your, let your children, let your family, let your parents see what you value. You know, I learned this about kids. Kids are constantly watching, listening, remembering. You ever notice this? Man, they can remember stuff. Remembering and then repeating. If that doesn't just sober you, man, when my kids started going to our Christian school here, it was sobering to me. Because they watch, they listen, they remember, and then they repeat. So I'm like, what are you telling your teachers over there? Like, you got to be, you got to be careful. Literally, this is a true story. This is a true story. Uh, Jude, I think it was Jude, went to, went to class. It was either Jude or Jen. So only I have two kids. Um, 
one of them went to school and, and they, they told the teacher, they said, oh yeah, my mommy, uh, she loves Bucky's. And they're like, oh really? And they're like, yeah, she loves Bucky's so much, she said if she had a choice, she would live in their bathroom. I'm like, hey Jamie, are we okay? Like, are, you like our house, right? Like, it's, it's all right. Like, I heard from the teacher that you would live in the Bucky's. She goes, oh, I was joking with the boys how much I love Bucky's bathrooms. I'm like, for real? They repeat. Everything we do, they watch, they listen to, they remember. We were driving the other day out of nowhere. Jude pipes up and he goes, hey, Dad, you don't want to know the time that I learned the word dissolve? The word dissolve? I said, yeah, I guess. And he goes, you threw, I don't know if I should say this. He said, you threw a banana peel out the window. And I said, Daddy, you're not supposed to litter. I said, and you told me, don't worry, it will dissolve. And I didn't remember what the word meant, and you explained it to me. I'm like, oh boy, oh boy. No one's safe. If you have kids, nothing's safe. You're gonna be exposed. Because they watch, they listen, they remember, and then they repeat. My grandfather used to say, what one generation tolerates in moderation, the next generation carries out in excess. What one generation, oh, it's all right for us, I can handle it. And then whatever we tolerate in moderation, the next generation, you can see this, past generations, carries out in excess. Make it consistent. I wanna close with this thought. My, my dad used to talk about this. He always talked about, like, the, the, he loved the laws of thermodynamics. And uh, he always talked about the second law of thermodynamics, which I, I looked up, like, like a, uh, what's the easier way to say the second law of thermodynamics? Because I was talking about, I was, I was going to try to explain it. So the, I, I, found, I found this definition, which is pretty good. Hot things always cool unless you do something to stop them. It's the second law of thermodynamics. Basically, anything left alone it's not gonna get hotter, it's gonna get cooler. Unless an outside source causes it to heat up. Okay, so that's like layman's terms, really bad, but it's, you get the idea. Your family left alone is not gonna get better. Your marriage with a little bit of space. Do you know how many times I've heard this? I just need a little space. No, you don't. You need to press in and figure it out. You need to get counseling, you need to press in. We tell our college students this, when you feel distance, press in, press in. When I feel distance, the worst thing you could do when you feel distance is create more distance. When you feel distance, it's come here, we gotta have a conversation. Obviously we have a problem that makes us want to separate, wants to have distance, so get, get close. Let's talk about it. Hot things always cool unless you do something to stop them. How's your, how's your marriage relationship doing? Is it cooling? Because if you leave it alone, it'll cool. Man, we've been married 10 years. We kind of just kind of lost some of the passion, some of the, yeah, you've ne you haven't done anything. You haven't done anything for 10 years. Do what you did when you were dating. Try touching once in a while. Try leaving the kids and going to a hotel. 
just practical advice. It's free. It's in your marriage conference. I'm just giving it to you free, okay? Some of y'all looking uncomfortable. You should get a little more comfortable with this. Like, go to a hotel. Find some pizzazz. I'm on year 15. I ain't slowing down. I mean, this is, this is I'm, I'm just in, I'm learning. Okay, too much. Man, don't believe the Hollywood lie. It's not over. Okay, we got to stop that one. That analogy can just keep going for a long time. It's time to heat things up, though. All right. You're either, you're either living by chance or by choice. You're either deciding or drifting. That's what I feel like we're supposed to close on. Lord, will you bring us back to a decision where our families drifted, where our morals have drifted, where our standards have drifted. And this is what I'm gonna ask everybody to do. Can you make it personal? So instead of like messaging this message to your wife at home, just, just take it for yourself right now. Just, just yourself. Can I make it personal? In my loving the Lord my God with all my heart, my mind, my soul, and my strength. It's time to make the decision. Maybe I've been drifting. Maybe I've been drifting in my marriage. Maybe you've been drifting in your mind and your heart. Maybe you've been drifting just emotionally, but not, but not actually physically. Can I just call you back to the choice? Choice. Choice. I thought it would feel different. Everybody thought thinks it's feel, it would feel different. It's a choice. Love is a choice. Commitment is a choice. People that have stayed married a long time are not staying married because they felt like it for a long time. People that have stayed married for a long time made a lot of choices when they didn't feel it to make sure that they would feel it again. That's, it's, it's a choice. It's a choice. Pastor Kevin Gerald, he says this, you, can do, you can't do anything about your history, but you can do something about your legacy. Listen, yesterday is yesterday. Past marriage is past marriage. Past mistakes are past mistakes. But this is what we get in Jesus. We get a brand new start. We get a brand new day. My Bible says weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Paul says forget what is behind, straighty towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal in Christ Jesus. Can I just encourage you whether you feel heavy, whether you feel condemned or convicted, let me just tell you God loves you. He's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. He approves of you. He values you, but he loves you enough to give you this lens to make sure you get the family that you've always wanted, and it's possible. And even if you think your best years are behind you, God is a master at taking what seems to be the end or impossibility and giving us a brand new start.